Welcome to On Renewal. This is your host, Sam Sager. I'm excited to share this conversation with one of my favorite people on the internet, Charlotte Grisol. Charlotte is an online writer known for exploring how to apply ideas from neuroscience in her own life. Her fascination with the nervous system is contagious, and she provides a bunch of great ideas that we can all try out. I had a blast exploring how these concepts map to broader themes around stress, growth, and transformation. I think you're going to enjoy hearing how Charlotte has transitioned from a 10-year advertising career and how she continues to transform in real time. Let's jump in. Charlotte, welcome. How are you today? Hi, I'm very good. I'm excited for my first ever podcast recording. So I'm excited um, to do this. Yes, we're we're honored to have you and we're, we're excited for this to be your first. I think um, there'll be a lot of people that are excited to to hear your thoughts on this. And there's a ton of different topics that I'd love to cover because there's so much that I think we have shared interests about. Um, one that's that's very top of mind for me right now, I, I actually just this morning published uh, an essay on embodied exercise as a, a way to discover joy. And I'm in that state of excitement and anxiety and waiting to see how how others receive it. So I was curious, like, how do you feel these days when you publish your writing? Well, really quickly on what you just mentioned about your essay, I actually just read it this morning and I oh, absolutely love it. That's exactly the kind of stuff I've been thinking about over the last weeks and months. And I've been trying to think about more in my own exercising, like being very aware of my body and my environment and it's making a difference, but reading your kind of thoughts and exercises is, um, has been super interesting. Um, but in terms of publishing my writing, um, I've definitely noticed over the last 18 months that I've now started, that I've now been writing, that there's a lot less kind of mental turmoil before I post anything. Um, in the beginning, it was very much that anxiety of even hitting the publish button was like a really, really, really big thing. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely noticed over the last 18 months that has almost disappeared. There's a lot of other mental turmoil going on and a lot of other doubts and insecurities, but the actual act of publishing and hitting that button and then just kind of letting go of it has really changed dramatically over the last 18 months. And I think that has really just come with practice, obviously. Yeah. Um, just doing it again and again and again, um, as well as seeing some positive feedback. Like, you know, obviously those numbers are still quite small, um, but seeing people react to it and engage with it. And it just kind of creates that feedback loop of, you know, you see people resonate with something that you didn't expect would resonate. And when it does, it gives you kind of that permission of, oh, how, how about this topic? Maybe that will resonate. I'll just try and see how it goes. So it kind of creates that positive feedback loop that you can only really experience once you do it again and again and again. Yeah, there's something so special about, you know, sharing your ideas and whether it's friends or strangers for them to raise their hands and say, "Oh my God, I you know I, I resonates that I, I I see that I experience that too." Um, it's still for me super exciting to experience that, and you know it's one of the reasons I encourage friends. Just you know, if you have ideas, write and share them, and um, you know you'll find people that they resonate with. 
I'm curious for you to take us back. You mentioned the 18 month journey. What was it like at the beginning and, and what made you start writing in the first place? And then how did that, how did that unfold? Yeah, that's a good question. It's been, I mean, it's definitely been quite the journey. Um, for me, the, the key catalyst to everything was the pandemic. At that time, I was living in Singapore. So when the pandemic hit and we went into lockdown, in Singapore, it was very, very strict lockdowns. So it wasn't like in Europe or like in the US where you could still get away with meeting up with people and, you know, going to work and all these kind of things. Like in Singapore, it was lockdown and we didn't leave our apartments for months on end. I mean, we could go for a walk, but there was no way you could meet up with anyone else aside from your immediate household. Um, and in that time, I started um, a lot of journaling. I've always kept journals. I've always kept notebooks, but it was always very kind of factual, you know. During the pandemic, it became very, very cathartic, very introspective, very emotional. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, that just changed so much because I've always been quite a, I guess, critical person of myself hmm. but writing it all out on paper made it so real and so intense um that that just gave me a lot to work with a lot to think about and a lot to be very honest about myself I guess from all of that journaling and all of that thinking and all of that writing I something in me really realized like okay I need to make a change here I need to do something with all of this frustration and all of this thinking and all of this I can't just like you know keep it all in my little bubble I want to start right. sharing it and I want to start um yeah finding ways that I can channel and use this a lot better and more productively um because I was spending so much time reading so much time listening to podcasts so much time journaling but end of the day what was I really doing with that not right. much and that then started causing frustration so at some point I was just like okay I want to do something productive with this I have all this time all this space what can I do with this and at that time I read about chip 30 for 30 so I thought you know what I'm just going to do it and sign up and 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 see what happens yeah that shift from you know consuming to creating I know People talk about it. I, I heard people say for years, like, oh, you, you know, you don't just consume, you know, create, share. And I think it's so easy to just kind of dismiss it because it's scary and because it's new and it feels a bit self-indulgent, at least it, it did to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but there's something super powerful when you make that that shift where you just stop, like, just sucking in information and start kind of put it, putting it out as well. Um, and, and, you know, I think for me, it's, it's opened up connections to so many people, to new ideas, and it's really started to change um, a lot of my thinking, a lot of kind of how I process information, what I do with it. I'm curious for you, as you've started writing, as you've started sharing, how has that process changed you at all? Uh, in very, very profound ways and it's funny that you ask that because it's actually something I've been thinking about a lot over the last few weeks about this whole idea of kind of identity change mm. because that's really what writing has done for me um, I think in many ways in a, in a very good way 
like writing has made me so much more self-aware and curious about many things, curious about who I am, what, I, what I'm like, what I'm thinking, why I think the way I think, what can I do to improve? Well, improve is maybe not the right word, but at least like, what can I do to change certain thought patterns and behaviors? So the act of writing has really kind of kindled that curiosity and fascination and appreciation for my mind. So that's all of the good stuff. But I think I've almost swung a bit too far to the other side to a point where I'm now, I've gone through so much growth and change over the last 18 months that I'm almost at a point where I sometimes don't recognize this new me. Yeah. And while there's a lot of good stuff about it, for sure, um, I'm also still kind of finding the right balance between parts of the old me and this new me, if that makes sense. I think it's very aligned to this theme of, of renewal because the, mm. the world is changing and so we're adapting to it. We're changing, we're evolving. And that process of renewal is often viewed as a good thing, but change is uncomfortable, especially when it's ourselves that, that are changing. I actually, I saw you share a bit about that and I pulled the quote in because I wanted to talk to you about it later, but I'll just share it now. You said, while I'm happy I made these big changes, in some ways I feel like I don't recognize myself anymore and that can feel quite jarring. I think that's yeah. super powerful, right? Like we, we talk about the positives of change, but I think we also need to name the discomfort that we, we bump into as we, we go through that process. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think it, it's kind of the, the, the nature of our times that we're very impatient. I'm very impatient. I kind of want to be at that point right now where I'm fully satisfied and clear on who I am and what I want. But I'm very clearly not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it, it, it is a process. And I think... I'm like I said, I'm I'm really happy with all the kind of changes and growth I've gone through. Um, but I'm still finding my, kind of my place in between those hmm. points. Because um, writing, you know, writing brought a lot of great things to my life. But it's also quite a solitary experience in many ways. For sure. And while writing you know obviously there's community and how I've started working for Rite of Passage which is all about community for writers that makes a huge difference and I've met so many interesting and great people so I really believe in that power of online community for writers but end of the day the actual act of writing is still solitary that's still something you're doing by yourself on your computer you know kind of battling all of those thoughts and insecurities and making the time to actually do the writing so I've almost jumped so headfirst into this whole writing life mm. that I'm sometimes feel like I'm neglecting other parts of my life, like my social life, my friends, my relationship. And that has definitely, and I don't even really know if that's really the case. My friends have never mentioned anything, right. but I'm just projecting those kind of worries and thoughts on that. So that's yeah. creating a lot of, tension in my mind um so anyway that's the kind of the jarring feeling of it is that I'm still really finding that balance between 
this new me who loves writing and spending a lot of time on that and the old me who did nothing else but escaping her own thoughts so sure. it's uh i'll have to find a sweet spot absolutely one of my favorite parts of these conversations is, is seeing the the threads that that kind of weave between them and the connections and so as you're describing your experience it's really bringing to mind paul millard's work and i had him on and if people are interested they can listen to the episode but paul talks a lot about how as we go through significant changes especially with our work and our identity we really need to create space and let it unfold give enough time because as we evolve, we don't know where we're going to end up. And if we rush mm -hmm. that process, we may, you know, run into something that is kind of emerging, but it's not really aligned to where we're, we're going to be, you know, six months down the road. And so I, that this idea of giving things space to unfold um, is, is something that I've really taken from him. It, it's interesting hearing you, you talk about all these changes. It, it brings to mind, I think one of the topics I was most excited to talk to you about which is, you know, this idea of neuroplasticity and the nervous system, because it's one that just jumps out of your work. It, it really, you know, as I read your writing, it seems like you have a true love of this idea of neuroplasticity. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think I, I've been thinking about why I've become so, so, so fascinated about this yeah. because, um, you know, I, I guess if, if my like high school biology teacher would be listening to this, she would fall off her chair, honestly, <laughs> because I was the least interested or engaged student in those kind of classes. Like I have never, ever, ever shown any interest in science, biology. So this is to me as well, very, very new. Again, a very jarring identity change. But I think... Um, you know, the fact that I've kind of lived the first 32 years of my life very much, this is going to sound weird, although I don't think so weird for you. So I, I mm. have to keep that in mind that you're also very much into these things. Yeah. Um, I've, I've lived, you know, the majority of my life very much in my head, not fully appreciating that I have a body hmm. a, an incredible you know machine and i actually have no idea how it works or what i can do to make it you know feel better work better think better look better like i i, I feel like i've always really taken for granted the fact that i have a body yeah. And so I can't even remember how I started listening to Huberman podcasts. I mean, I'm sure it must must have come from Twitter or some newsletter or whatever, but his podcast has completely kind of changed how I view myself and has completely kind of stimulated that that interest and fascination and wanting to understand how my body and my brain work and what I can do to improve it. Yeah. Um, so the whole kind of, before I had been aware of the term, you know, growth mindset, I knew mm -hmm. what it was, I had heard about it, but it always states something quite, um, abstract. Whereas it's only once I started learning about neuroscience and neuroplasticity 
that it gave me that very kind of practical, real understanding of what that really means. Like a growth mindset is more than having a positive, open-minded kind of vision of yourself. There are actual neurological processes behind that that mean that your brain is possible of, you know, it's, it, it, your brain has potential to change and rewire and grow. And like, there are actual neurological processes behind that. So just learning about that and knowing that um, has, you know, has, has made me kind of see habit forming and skill acquisition and um stuff like meditation like completely differently um so yeah i i mean i i would love neuroplasticity it's it's you know it's fun to meet someone that i think loves it even more than i do but the reason (laughs) i love it is because this this whole renewal project that my, my passion for it is you know largely comes from this idea of seeing individuals and organizations but in this case individuals who seem to get more rigid as they get older they mature mm. and instead of you know opening to even more possibility their minds almost shrink they get more focused on things they fall into the habitual patterns you're talking about and i think neuroplasticity is literally saying like that doesn't have to happen our brains are capable of continually adapting and i don't know where i heard it but i love that metaphor of like the way in which, you know, for some people, there's like the ski tracks that, you know, the same thoughts, the same ideas just go down and you get locked in these grooves and your thinking just kind of falls into the same patterns. And for others, you can just shake it up and get that fresh, beautiful powder and your mind can open to all these different, different places. And so, yeah, I think it's such a powerful reminder for all of us that as we grow and age and mature, we don't have to become more rigid. In fact, like our brains can continually evolve and adapt. So as you've gone down this, this rabbit hole of nervous system, neuroplasticity, I mean, what's cool for me was watching you uncover these ideas, but then apply them, right? I think so many people are just sharing, you know, oh, this is a really cool idea, but they're not doing anything with it. And I think what's neat about you is you just put it into your own life and you, um, you, you embrace it and then you report back to the rest of us how it's working. So I don't know, one example of that, that I'm really interested to hear you talk about is the eyes you know, or if we want to be fancy, the the vestibular system. Um, (laughs) But I'm I'm curious to hear your, your experience on eyes, whether the light or the panoramic, what, what, what have you, what have you played around with there? Um, Probably those two things, light and kind of visual focus. So the very first, probably still my favorite kind of takeaway from all the Huberman stuff is the visual focus and the panoramic vision. Um, element. I do this on a daily basis and generally without exaggerating, feel like it has changed my life. So the whole idea of, you know, when you think about looking at a beautiful view or a beautiful, you know, scenery, like you automatically feel relaxed and calm, right? That's what most people will kind of confirm that when you're looking at a beautiful scenery, that's typically a very relaxing feeling. And what I learned, it turns out that that is because our eyes, our visual field kind of automatically goes into panoramic vision. You're not really focusing on one particular point on the horizon. You're really kind of taking up the entire beautiful view. Now, when you compare that, when 
you're indoors, we're staring at our phone, we're staring at our computer screen, at a book, we're looking at someone's face. Like our, our visual field is very narrow and we're going into a so-called tunnel vision. And that's where we actually spend most of our day. Like if we don't consciously think about this, then we almost never go into this panoramic vision unless we're, you know, watching a beautiful view. But so what I learned from Huberman is you don't have to be outside and looking at a beautiful view to do this. You can go into panoramic vision wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I'm actually doing it right now. I'm I'll join you. Up, join me. <laughs> I'm taking up my entire peripheral field vision. I'm, you know, trying to see as much as I can on the left, on the right, top, bottom. And the idea is that you don't move your eyes, right? You keep your eyes still. You don't move your face. You just look straight ahead and you soften your eyes and you really take up as much of your visual field as you can. So I try to do this while I'm working, while I'm out on a walk, when I'm meditating with my eyes open, like whatever I'm doing, I try to remind myself to go into this panoramic vision because what this does is it activates your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of your nervous system that's responsible for relaxation and calmness. So you're basically telling your brain, you're signaling to your brain that, you know, there's no threats in the environment. There's nothing to be stressed about. You can relax. So that kind of those circuits in your brain and in your nervous system get activated. And I feel like whenever I do it, I can automatically feel kind of my shoulders relax, my face relaxes. I take a deep breath and there's a feeling of calmness that comes over me. Yeah, I, I just felt that. I felt my shoulders fall back, my breathing slow, heart rate seemed to slow a bit, and I felt way more grounded in my my chair and, and just you know yeah. a, a subtle sense of calm. It's it's so cool to think that you know we can be on a Zoom meeting, we can be recording this, and that can just that subtle shift can nudge us in our state in a, in a different direction. After reading you, you write about that. I actually started playing with it during more intense exercise as well. So, yes. you know, I noticed I'm going for a jog and I get this tunnel vision. I'm like looking down the trail and it's just like, you know, starting to feel like a slog. And I remind myself to zoom out and it just immediately starts to feel more effortless. And I even, I, I even do it now on hill sprints. And it's one where like the intensity of the hill sprint can really focus your, your vision into like the destination and everything becomes more fluid and natural when I drop into the, the panoramic vision. So thank you. Thank you for adding that to, to my repertoire. Um, yeah. And then to just, uh, just, I think in the last couple of days, you dropped a new term. I, I imagine maybe you got it from Huberman, maybe somewhere else. I didn't even know what it is. Um, myelination. Did I even say that right? What are we, what are we? What are we, what are we <laughs> I think you did. That's how yeah, I pronounced I, it. <laughs> okay. I'll just take it. What, what are we even talking about here? I was like that. That's totally new to me. Um, how does that relate to, to the you know nervous system and 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 what what did you take away from that? Yes, so that was another big aha moment for me, and I actually didn't get this one from Huberman. Nice, you know. Um, I read about this one in the book um, Deep Work by Cal Newport. Oh, cool! Which is also an incredible an incredible book. Um, but so the whole idea of myelination very closely um, related to neuroplasticity so myelin and 
you know, this is where I'm going to give my little caveat, right? Of the fact that I'm not a scientist. I am not a medical professional, so I might say some things wrong, but you know what? I'm just going to go with it because I think knowing about these concepts, even the very basics of it can change how you approach habit building and, you know, skill building because that's what it did for me. So yeah, um, we're not, we're not here for a science class. We're, we're, we're not okay, here for good. science <laughs> class. We're, we're here, we're here to learn how you're using in your life. We don't, we don't care if it's peer reviewed or, or anything. Let's, we just want to know your okay. experience. Good. Great. So myelin is this, it's this fatty substance that builds around neurons. The more you use a certain kind of behavior or action or thought pattern, you trigger this myelination process where this fatty substance then builds around the neurons. And it's almost like a, like a lubricant, right? The more myelin you have, the better and faster and smoother those neurons and the connection between those neurons will, um, will travel, will fire. So the, 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 basically the more myelinated you are, the better you are at a certain skill. Now, what I learned about this myelination process and what really changed a lot for me in terms of habit, habit building is that um, in order to really trigger useful myelination, your the way you approach a skill needs to have certain characteristics. So it's um, kind of the, the, the action you perform needs to be small, specific, focused, and repeated. And those four points really changed a lot for me because that's not how I used to approach habit building. Mm. I would throw myself in it, set very high expectations and very high goals and become very frustrated when I couldn't stick with them and give up in about a week. That's how I used to approach most of my kind of habits. <laughs> so after reading Deep Work and then obviously James Clear. Sure. atomic habits i really started to look at that very differently and realize that if you want to make actual brain changing um if, if you want to adopt actual like brain changing skills and habits you need to approach it in a very different way so start very small almost ridiculously small almost so small it doesn't feel worth it but start with you know five minutes of meditation, start with five push-ups. start with um, 10 minutes of writing, like start very small and then slowly build up from there. Then make it very specific because the moment you keep it, you keep this new habit vague, it's very easy to talk yourself out of it or to give up when you don't feel motivated. Whereas if you make it very specific and you're very clear on, what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, when and where, you'll be more likely to stuck with it, to stick with it. Um, and then, so we have small, we have specific, and then we have focus. So focus was also a big one for me um, because of how it relates to this myelination process. If you make a new action very specific and focused, you're isolating that um, neural circuit in your brain and you're making that specific neural circuit fire again and again and again, mm. which is helping with this myelination process. Yeah. Whereas if you're 
doing 10 things at the same time, there's so much going on in your brain and so much energy and activity going on that you're not isolating that specific circuit that you're trying to strengthen. So make a new skill and a new action focused. So, um, you know, instead of spending two hours on playing the piano, but in the meantime, you're checking your phone and you're getting up to have a conversation and you're doing all these different things, you'd be better off just practicing the piano for 30 minutes, but doing it in a focused way. Yeah. So that idea, again, huge, huge game changer for me. And then the last one, repetition. And this is Mm -hmm. one, you know, we know this, we hear this all the time. You got to put your reps in, you got to, you know, you got to keep practicing and keep doing it. This is stuff we've been hearing since we were children. Like you have to practice, but I never really fully appreciated why that is like, why do I really have to practice? Like what's, why are reps so important? Um, and again, it relates to this myelination process. You know, the, the more you do it, the thicker the, myel- the myelin gets around the neurons. So the better you're becoming at the skill. Um, so those kind of four points, small, specific, focused and repeated, really help me appreciate the neurological process behind habit building and have, um, yeah, have really changed how I approach it. And I'm pretty sure that's the only reason why I've been able to stick with writing, why I've been able to stick with running over the last 18 months, like things that old me wouldn't have really, (laughs) would have already given up after a few weeks, I'm sure. Uh, Charlotte, there's so much there that I want to uh, play with and explore. I think it, it really brings up this idea, you know, you hear people talk about like practice makes perfect. And I think that you're pointing out and other people have said like good practice or, you know, the right type of practice can make things permanent in that. And I think, especially like if I use exercise, since it's, it's front of mind for me, so many people are focused on the quantity of exercise they do mm-hmm. and they'd be so much better focused on the quality, right? You know, the movement patterns, the type, like making it enjoyable, but small enough that they can actually continue it. Because it's that, through that process that they then become somebody that actually enjoys exercise. And I think this leads into the second thing, which I find so exciting about what you're saying is I'm fascinated with this idea of like, how do we create conditions for things? So instead of like chasing outcomes, which I did for most of my life, and I think from what I know about you, you were an, also an outcome chaser. <laughs> <Pretty much. laughs> um, you know, I think instead of rushing to get to this, this place or force, forcing things to be a certain way, creating conditions for things to unfold, to support whatever we want to happen. But I think what you're saying there is really like that process actually exists within our brains. Like we can be creating conditions within our brains for the type of learning we want, for the type of habits we want. And if we don't create conditions in there, then, you know, we're going to bump into difficulty. Um, And so I think it's just a, it's just another point towards that way of being instead of, you know, rushing, rushing and forcing and trying to overdo it, you know, the, um, so I think there's, there's just a ton there. Um, so thank you. I think that that will be a really useful framework for people. How, you know, one area, it's a little bit of a, a tangent, but also I think somewhat connected. So you're on a year of experiments. Yes. Where, I, I mean, I'm, it's so, it's such an interesting, um, project to see unfold because they're, you know, you're, you're, you're trying a ton of different things. Where, where did that come from? And, and what has that experience been like? Um, where did that come from? So 
just to to quickly explain, so my year of experiments is basically um, an idea where every month I try something new and different. Um, and it, this can be anything. I purposefully didn't put any kind of rules or guidelines in place for myself because then I would completely overthink it and make it way more complicated than it needs to be. So I purposely let this, like kept this very open, just something new, different, as long as I'm um, pushing myself kind of out of my comfort zone, something I haven't done before. And as long as I'm sharing about it online. Hmm. And the reason why I started this is I remember reading the book, um, Scott Adams, Oh, I, yeah. Um, yeah, go to the bookshelf. Oh, consult the... Yes. Uh, consult the bookshelf. Yeah. Here it is. How uh, to fail yeah. almost everything and still win big. Like, honestly, I found this book life-changing. Mm. I know I've said, I've said life-changing a few times in this podcast already. But Your this life one is evolving. Such... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this one made such a big difference for me. He's the... He's the guy um, who of the Dilbert cartoons, mm -hmm. Dilbert, Gilbert, yep. Gilbert, I think. Dilbert, Dilbert. Um, and it's he talks a lot about failure and embarrassment, and that's something that I used to struggle with quite a lot. Like I would avoid failure and embarrassment at all costs. Um, so reading about all the stuff he has tried like in in one of the um chapters he lists out all of the things he's tried and it's just i mean it's comical how many different random crazy things he has tried in terms of businesses and mm. you know projects and even products he's, he tried to invent and launch and sell like it's just it's incredible all of the random crap he has tried and 95 percent of that failed and some of them obviously worked out. But, I mean, I can't really quote from the book now, but there's certain things he says that just really made it click for me. Like, yeah, I'm but by not trying anything new and by not wanting to ever embarrass myself, I am completely holding myself back in so, so, so many ways. And I'm sure there's so much more potential in me and so much more stuff I can do and try. But if I'm not doing any of it then you know it's just gonna go to waste yeah. so yeah. this book kind of inspired me to try this year of creative experiments where every month i would just do something something mm. very small um and it's it's been really it's been really interesting and i think the, the nice thing about calling it an experiment is that it drastically lowers kind of the expectations yeah. that I put on it. It's an experiment, whatever. I'll see how it goes. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like in, in October, just last month, I decided to do TikTok videos, which is extremely uncomfortable for me because I don't really love talking on video or at least like filming myself. I don't like the TikTok platform. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I wanted to push myself into doing something very different and very out of my comfort zone. And I didn't fully meet what I had set out to do. I was going to do one every week. I didn't really. But it has 
so so technically it's a failure but it's also been a really interesting experiment and it has given me a lot of new ideas to write about and it has actually shown me that maybe I do like talking on camera a little bit more and becoming a bit more comfortable in speaking on camera is actually a really really good skill to have especially yeah. these days um so yeah, you, cer- you certainly seem comfortable right now and just while we're on this very quickly, I'd like to go on the record. I saw on your site that your one of your experiments for September was to record a podcast. And yes. We were, supposed to, yes, we were scheduled. I had to reschedule. I canceled. You marked it as a failure. I would like to take full responsibility for that. And I think that once this is published, you should go back and, and count that as a win. Oh, I because, will. I will. Okay, I will. Good, good. good. Cause it was killing me. I looked at it. I was like, oh, no, this is my fault. An entire month of experiment. Uh but no, I love I love this project so much because I think you know when we talk about neuroplasticity, it's a pretty abstract, you know, heady concept. But this feels like a way that you're practically implementing it. Like these experiments are kind of raw inputs to push yourself into new terrain, and that's kind of stimulus that can start a process of neuroplasticity of changing things, right? Like if you're taking yourself out of your comfort zone, you're creating conditions that could lead to neuroplasticity, could lead to new stuff, and so. I think this is a really great example that people can adopt to say, how do I make sure that I'm continuing to evolve and not just staying static or rigid? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think, and I've I've gotten, it's interesting, I've gotten a lot of like reactions and interests in this year mm-hmm. of creative experience, more than anything else, probably of all the other stuff I write about and, and read about, like this year of creative experience, experiments seems to really resonate with people. And I, I think... The key thing is, and this actually goes back to this myelination process, is to start so small because it's so easy to place really big expectations on a new like creative endeavor and then kind of crash and burn because you you try to do too much too soon and then give up. And that's such a shame. It's such a waste because you could have done really cool things and you could have achieved really interesting new you know ideas and paths um so what i really like about this year of creative experiments it's it's a it's quite a long-term thing right it's 12 months that's a long yeah that's a long time to do stuff and if you just set yourself the goal of doing something every month but doing something very small some some months it was just taking a specific course or what else have i done in, in January, it was starting the newsletter. That that was enough to 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 give me a checkbox of like, okay, that's that's a creative thing, and I've put it out there, I've put it online, great. Um, so I, I think that has helped me to keep keep it going. And um, another thing that it has really, really, really shown me, and I think you can only appreciate that once you've done it is how meaningless that feeling of embarrassment and shame is Mm. it's it's a very sharp pain in the moment but it dissipates so 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 quickly to the point that i'm now surprised of stuff that i've done and put online that i'm like wow how did i you know where did i kind of how, how was I not embarrassed to put that online? Like the old me would have been completely mortified. Um, but but you kind of get used to that 
feeling and you kind of see, you start seeing and really believing and feeling how, how meaningless it is really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can only do that by, by actually doing it and trying it. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I think it's, it's such a powerful reminder that, um, the thing, a lot of the things we fear like shame, it, it, it is a feeling that just can dissipate. I think you bring up this idea of time horizon. So you talked about the 12 months and yeah, you know, that's a perfect example of how something we do that's small on a day-to-day basis compounded over a year becomes really large. I also think, and you, you talked about like letting things starting small and letting them grow versus really forcing and rushing them. I think especially with creative projects, with businesses, if you can zoom out and take a three-year, five-year, maybe even a 10-year horizon, what seems possible is just totally different than if we think about what we can do in three months or six months. And in my own life and work, like I'm trying to continually shift my horizon longer. I guess it's sort of a, a similar to the panoramic vision. Like I want to think about yeah. my work with more panoramic vision because then I feel calmer. I feel this sense of possibility of, of what could happen. And so I, I think this could be a really fun place to wrap. And just, I'd, I'd love to hear as you zoom out, as you think about the horizon of your life and, and, the, and the future, I know you mentioned being in this state of change and you're not even really recognizing yourself. Do you have, do you have paths or do you have a sense of where you might be headed? Are there things that you're excited about that you could, that you could share? Or is it, is it such a, a cloudy unfolding process that you don't even know where you're going to be in a, a couple of years? Oh, Sam, you're catching me at a very unstable time in my life. So oh, that's, wonderful. That's, <laughs> it's, a very, it's a difficult, difficult question to answer, to be honest. Um, I don't have a good answer for you, which is, is a bit scary, but um, I'm just going to have to trust in the process. That's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trusting in the process. And I feel like I am doing, or at least trying to do a lot of things right in terms of the writing, the self-awareness, the learning about my nervous system. Like I'm trusting that all of that effort and all of that kind of knowledge is, is, is going to pay off at some point. Yeah. You're creating, you're, you're creating super, super powerful conditions for things to, to, to grow out of. I mean, I, I, it's like a garden, right? You're, you're getting the soil, right. You're making sure that all the nutrients are there. But exactly. what's fascinating to me is, you know, I'm having conversations with people I admire, people whose work I look to, and, you know, I, I see, um, you know, a ton of clarity and power in their work. And as you talk to them, one thing that's really cool to see is how, they're renewing in, in real time. They're evolving and adapting. I think that that's this kind of theme within the theme of these conversations is to see how people who, you know, people like me or others might look to and they, oh, that they have it figured out or they know, they know exactly where their work is going. And I think most people are just figuring it out as they go. Most people are in this constant state of evolution and adaption. And so it's super exciting to me. Like, you know, I think I personally wouldn't want to be in a place where I knew exactly what I'd be doing and, and where I was, yeah. you know, in five years. I think that there's a sense of adventure and excitement there. And so I look forward to seeing how your path unfolds and, and, and what comes. Um, so this has been, been a ton of fun. Any final thoughts, words of wisdom, favorite nervous system hacks, stuff that you want to leave, leave the people with in terms of embracing all of this in their day-to-day life? Oh, man, there's so many. What about the psychological sigh? I... Uh, I feel like that's one that you've told me about that's pretty 
that's pretty powerful that we might leave people with. Yeah, that was a powerful one. In, I mean, the, the psychological side is, I guess, a very interesting technique, but zooming out of that, what was very powerful for me is learning about the stress reaction and kind of reframing that in my head. So don't see um, stress reaction as a negative or as a uncomfortable feeling. That's just kind of the cognitive interpretation that we've given to this, but see it as your body kind of getting your, you ready for action, for movement, for, um, yeah, for action and for movement. Like it's a, it's a, it's like a survival reaction basically. Um, so sorry, I actually don't know where I'm going with this, Sam. No, I think, I think you're, you're, I think, I think it's perfectly on aligned to this whole conversation, right? You know, all these things you're doing, these experiments, these, this writing, it's a form of stress that you're intentionally kind of taking on. Right. And, and I think yes. for myself, myself and others, like we, a lot of life is looking at stress and be and shying away from it because, you know, it feels scary or bad. And I think that you're pointing towards the fact that that's actually powerful. That's actually can be good. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, and the idea that you you don't have to be at the mercy of these feelings. That was something very interesting for me. Mm. And that's what I really love about Huberman's podcast is you, you learn about these kind of reactions, but then there's also very real physiological tools that you can use to um, manage these reactions. And one of them is the physiological sigh, which is basically a way, um, similarly to the, the, the technique of panoramic vision, it's a way to activate that parasympathetic nervous system and to calm your body down in the moment, which is just incredibly, incredibly powerful that once you kind of know and learn about these techniques, that you don't have to kind of wallow and get swept away by your stress reaction. Like if you can find a moment to just take a breath and think about some of these techniques and use them in the moment, you can really find a way to ground yourself. And um, that's stuff that I just never, I, I didn't realize that existed. I didn't realize that I could do this with my body. Mm. So learning about those things is incredibly, incredibly, um, incredibly powerful. So look it up, physiological sigh. It's, yeah, it's, well, it's basically uh, a breathing pattern. It's it's just a we'll like link a we'll link to a, we'll link to a demo in the in the show notes and. Um, you know, and I, I think I'll certainly link to your your newsletter to the the stretch letter. It's it's one of it comes out every two weeks, and it's one of my my favorites. All of the um, juicy scientific um, ideas that that Charlotte shared today, she shares kind of the new ones that she's digesting, and you know how she's applying in in her own life. And I think that's what's so fun for me about this conversation is you know all of us can go listen to Huberman. You know that we we can access some of this science now, but. I think there's a, a translation layer between that of like, okay, this is really cool, but how do I actually put that into my life? And I think that conversations yeah. like these and hearing you and, and all the ways that you're trying it, you know, what's working, what's not, what's powerful, what doesn't land. You know, I think it's incredibly useful. And this is why even if, you know, people aren't the expert on the, the nervous system or the, the scientists themselves, I think it's super valuable for, for people to be sharing. And so thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experiences 
um, your wisdom, any final final thoughts or things you want to leave leave people with? You know what? No, I'm going to leave it at this before I start. <laughs> before I start. Um... No, this has been awesome. Uh, well, well, thank you, Charlotte. We will we will chat soon, and we look forward to to hearing about the new stuff that you uncover. Great. Thanks so much, Sam. This was really fun. You were a great host for my very first podcast and September experiment. Check. If you enjoyed this discussion and are thinking about how to apply some of the ideas in your own life, Charlotte is hosting a workshop on December 21st, 2022 on embracing a year of creative experiments. And if you missed the date or want to stay tuned with Charlotte's work, I recommend subscribing to her newsletter, The Stretch Letter. Thanks again for listening.